On this edition of Kiwi Tripsters, we transport you to Taropraha's former lair, Kapiti Island, a wondrous nature sanctuary. We enjoy some capital temptations in wonderful Wellington, scoot through the cultural gems of Dunedin, and celebrate the wildlife of Otago Peninsula. Welcome back to Kiwi Tripsters. Buckle up and take off to spectacular destinations as we continue our journey and share the inside word on all things travel. Whether it's luxury travel or backpacking on a budget, whether it's cruising or foodie trips, we've got you covered with top tips and tricks so you can have an amazing travel experience. And now, over to your hosts, Mike Yardley and Chris Lynch. Welcome aboard to a very fresh New Zealand edition, as always, of Kiwi Tripsters. I'm Chris Lynch. I'm Mike Yardley. Very good to have you aboard. Good to see you, Mr. Michael. Now, let's start by heading south to the wondrous Otago Peninsula, where the wildlife encounters are absolutely breathtaking. You are so blessed with flippered and feathered possibilities on the Otago Peninsula. I think it's the volume and the variety of wildlife that really is quite spellbinding. Um, the crown jewel would probably be Tyroa Head home to the Northern Royal Albatross Colony. I only went there for the first time a couple of months ago and it's such a unique encounter as you ogle those birds from what they call the Royal Observation Box. And when I was there, Chris, recently, there were 30 chicks scattered across the headland, um, big, bulging, fluffy balls of snow-white feathers waiting for their parents to return home from sea with a squid smoothie for lunch. And when you've taken your fill of the birds... Um, don't miss <clears throat> Fort Tyra, which has seen so much history. Previously, it was one of New Zealand's biggest fortified coastal pars. And then in the 1880s, there were fears intensifying that the Russians were going to invade Dunedin to pilfer all of its gold. So they installed what they call the Armstrong Disappearing Gun on Fort Tyroa. And it was quite an ingenious weapon because it would raise itself to fire and then swiftly recoil into its underground bunker, which today is directly above and below where the chicks are nesting, which is quite an amazing sight. And this site, of course, is home to many BBC documentaries on uh, the natures of, well, the, the wondrous of nature, really, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, very much. David Attenborough loves this place. David Bellamy's mm. been there. The Royals have been there. Yeah, it and, is quite and incredible. And you can see why. You really can see why. Now, just yeah. a road, uh, just across from the Albatross Colony, yeah. is quite a magnificent sort of ecotourism business, a farm in some respects, right? It is absolutely a revelation, this place. Nature's wonders. And the Reed family have been farming on this site since 1849, you know, through a lot of generations of reeds, but they have developed this incredible business, Nature's Wonders, Um, and over time they have steadily reduced the size of their sheep farm, restoring much of the land as a self-funded conservation venture. It is totally predator-proofed. They've got a massive fur seal colony there, little blue penguins, but best of all, possibly the biggest hoi-haw colony in the world, yellow-eyed penguins. When I was there, they had 23 breeding pairs of yellow-eyed penguins that have set up shop on their land, and watching hordes of them at twilight waddling across the beach to reach their nests was absolutely transfixing. And I suspect the reason a lot of people may not have heard about this place and their incredible conservation prowess is because it's not part of the Department of Conservation. 
So, you know, just um, private uh, enterprise doing wonders. And it really is a priceless spectacle to go there. It sounds amazing. And, and those photos, if you just do a Google search, you know exactly what I mean. Yeah. And the wildlife cruises out in the ocean, they're fantastic too. Yeah, it's another great perspective on the whole wildlife scene around the peninsula. So I headed out into the Pacific Ocean uh, through the heads, the harbour entrance, with port-to-port wildlife cruises. And there are so many different species of albatross, and you will see um, them out uh, on the ocean. Uh, the Northern Royals can hit speeds of 120 kilometres an hour as they shoot across the Pacific to South America. But the the sea landings and the takeoffs are so theatrical. I know they are, aren't they? Yeah. yeah. They're like stealth bombers as they come into <laughs> land with that massive three-metre-wide wingspan. Amazing. There's also an eco-century. That's just behind Port Chalmers. Yes. Tell me about that. Yeah, Orokanui. It's uh, That's a right. fantastic cloud forest eco-century. Once again, fully predator-proofed. Um, it's home to the South Island brown kiwi and a blaze in native birdies. Um uh, I think I counted the kaka, the tui, and the bellbird within about five minutes of being there. And those bird feeder stations allow you to get so up close to them, you know, within a metre or two. Um, they've got a brilliantly named bird there called the brown creeper bird, which does exactly what it um, says. It just creeps around the branches um, as if not to be noticed by anyone. <laughs> but a lot of locals in Dunedin, they love using Otakanui as basically a suburban park because the walking trails through the native forest are just so good and a great detox from the daily grind. And when you've had your fill of Dunedin's natural wonders, it's the city's cultural treasures that really gets people going. Let's start with Larnock Castle. I've never been there, but I've seen so many people, so many friends that have been there. Yeah. I feel like I'm missing out. What is it about this place that makes it so special, Mike? I think Dunedin would consider it the banner attraction. I absolutely yeah. adore it. I think it is just so not New Zealand at Larnock Castle, as if you've been transported to Scotland or, you know, somewhere in the deep countryside of England. Um, I love its sense of history uh, and just how well preserved that history has been. So it all began under William Larnock, who built it in 1871 for his first wife. It is still privately owned today by the Barker family. And over the last 50 years, they have just been such dedicated troopers to restoring the castle, furnishing the landmark with a trove of original New Zealand period furniture and antiques. Because when the Barkers took possession of the castle, it was run down devoid of furniture, um, and they have just painstakingly uh, brought it back to its original glory. It is just incredible. The artwork, the furnishings, it's an impeccable restoration. But also the gardens are fantastic, aren't they? They really are. And once again, they were in a state of extreme neglect as well when the Barkers took possession. But today, just like the splendour of the castle, you've got... 35 acres of garden that is just a visual symphony. You've just got like a wonderland of secret paths and vistas and flower beds, so much so that it's now considered a garden of international significance by the New Zealand Gardens Trust. 
And when I was there last time, um, their Waratahs were ablaze, which inspired me to plant some in my back garden. But I love how they've got like these specialised collections within their grand botanical spread. So you can check out the Patent Garden, the Lost Rock Garden, the Serpentine Walk, the Rainforest, the South Seas Garden, the Alice Lawn. And for you, Chris, it is just Instagram heaven. I like the sound of this. Now, there's a, a, a room, a 35-room historic home nearby. Oh, you'd be talking about Olveston, Chris. Olveston, that's it. Yes, I once again, one of New Zealand's finest old house experiences. Yeah. So you probably want to complement the history of Larnock Castle with this grand suburban manor of Olveston, another landmark in Dunedin, uh, completed in 1906 by a Jewish immigrant, and it is clad in Mordaki gravel and Omaru stone. How Otago is that? Um, they actually bequeathed uh, Olveston to the city in 1966. Uh, so the magic of Olveston today is sort of like... Um, a time warp of high society living from a century ago. And when you walk around the house, it does have that lived-in feel about it. It's authentic. It's got a cluttered charm about it. And it's like the family have just popped out for the day. It's a runaway <laughs> hit. And for something a little quirky, tell us about the Natural Mystery Museum. I couldn't believe this place, Chris. So just a few doors down on Royal Terrace from Olveston, the Museum of Natural Mystery is a truly quirky Dunedin gem. So it's housed in this 19th century villa, and it's a chap by the name of Bruce Maholsky who um, lives there and works there. And he displays his gobstopping collection of skulls, bones, cultural curiosities, and art pieces which he's been gathering all of his life. So you'll just be struck by the most amazing exhibits. I walked into one room and there was a big mighty hippo skull glaring down at me um, next to uh, some more textured art creations from Bruce. Lots of skeletal stuff, lots of shell artworks for sale. He... Um, often enters the world of wearable arts awards. So there's these amazing headwear pieces of art that he's uh, put together. Kooky but cool. Kooky but cool. I like the mm. sound of that. Now, um, there's some great eateries in Dunedin. There's some new restaurants too that you've tried out that you've stuffed yourself with and they're pretty good restaurants in Dunedin, right? Yeah, they are. And they are a very trendy place for what's hot in the foodie steaks. Uh, one of Dunedin's newest restaurants is a place called Titi and it's just become an instant hit. Uh, very much drawing deep on the region's land and sea. It's hyper-local, hyper-seasonal, uh, so very on-trend. Um, and it boasts the most fabulous seaside perch in St. Clair. Now, Hans and Mel of Glenfellock Restaurant fame, they are at the helm of TT. Uh, dinner is a really interesting um, affair. It is a set course, trust the chef dining experience. So you don't actually order up any food. The chefs decide what to feed you, which I kind of well, that's like. that's kind of cool in a way. No thinking required. Exactly. <laughs> all, all you have to do is choose whether you want a plant-based or a protein-based uh, menu option, but I'll you won't both, be disappointed. You. <laughs> yeah, I was actually tempted. Uh, one other option, by the way, once again, very on trend in the warehouse precinct by Queen's Gardens is a place called Moati. Uh, Sam Gasson is at the helm of Moati, and it's a blend of French and Japanese cooking techniques. Um very unpretentious food, but it absolutely 
bursts with flavour and ingenuity. The current main course of beef cheek with pumpkin, kimchi, shallot and shanguku uh, has been a real triumph. And by the way, shangiku, for the uninitiated, are the tangy, grassy petals from the spring chrysanthemum, which apparently is a very mm. deeply revered um, ingredient in Japanese cuisine. I'll let you have that. Now, coming up, we take you to Kapiti Islands and check out the urban beat that is Wellington. You're with Kiwi Tripsters, keeping it very Kiwi. We're in the, the nation's capital, Wellington. It is a popular destination this summer, Mike. It's, it's condensed, it's compact. It feels like a real city when you're there. It does. I love its vitality because of that compact layout. And I reckon a really good way to uh, size up Wellington is by e-bike. I actually oh, lost... that's right. You love your e-bike. I love my e-bikes, and I credit Wellington for being the place where I lost my e-bike virginity. Um, and I've never looked back. I'm hooked on the e-bikes. It's such a tailor-made city for e-bikes because... Uh, whether you're up against a stiff headwind in Wellington or a steep street, <laughs> flick on the power mode to turbo, and those e-bikes make light work of winds or steep streets. Um, and you can get, you know, so far in such a short space of time by e-bike. I put around the bays, so around Oriental Bay, all the way to Evans Bay, I actually was gazing nostalgically at my old flat in Evans Bay, and then I kept charging on to Miramar and Seatoon. And I just couldn't believe how far I had gone <clears throat> in such a short period. It's just so effortless by e-bike. So if you want a really easy hire, go to Shed One on Queen's Wharf in Wellington, where you will find switched-on bikes, and they will get you kitted up. Nice, nice. Now, what is hot at Tapapa? I love this place. Well, you always I, go there, and there's yeah, always something new. Absolutely. Um, Gallipoli, the scale of our war, which, of course, has been on for now six years, it is still pulling the crowds. At last report, they've had nearly three million visitors through that exhibition. Isn't that incredible? Um, and it's so popular, it is going to stay pot for at least another two years. Um, a lot of the old favourites are back because they've been doing some renovations at Te Papa. So the Earthquake House and the Colossal Squid, they are now back uh, on show in the Nature Zone, which is called uh, Te Tai Tower. It was given a major makeover. Um, but speaking of exhibitions, Chris... Oh, the toy art. Um, yes. Toy, What's that like? Toy art is really interesting. It's the new National Art Gallery within... Uh, to Papa, and it features this incredible painting called Waterfall in Dusky Bay. I absolutely love it because it captures the first meaningful encounter between Europeans and Southern Māori. And while it may be popular for some academics to make out that everything was very hostile on the part of Captain Cook and his crew, um, that really is not the full tale of the tape. Now, this painting was done by William Hodges, who was the resident artist with Captain Cook on board the Resolution when it anchored in Dusky Sound in 1773. And Cook's crew spent five weeks in Dusky Sound making ship repairs. The relations with Iwi in Fiordland and Cook's crew were warm and peaceful. They sort of provided each other with mutual curiosity. So this painting, uh, Waterfall in Dusky Bay, is just 
so special. And for many artists like Colin McCann, Hodges is revered as the godfather of New Zealand landscape painting. It's a great exhibition. There are other exhibitions too. It's going to be a big summer at Te Papa too. Yeah, they've uh, fostered a really strong reputation for turning on a summer stunner uh, at Te Papa. And this summer's exhibition will play host to World of Wearable Art up close. Uh, you might see Bruce Maholsky's headwear <laughs> there. Um, but this is designed to be a theatrical and immersive exhibition. So you will be able to intimately engage with some of the extraordinary wearable um art and uh, that, that zest for creativity that World of Wearable Art um, illustrates. Um, for example, in the exhibition, here are some exhibits, just as an example, um, how 500 abandoned music festival tents were transformed into avant-garde works of art. And I've got a wearable Axminster carpet um, that... Um, uh, has been turned into a wearable artwork as well. So they've gathered up a whole lot of wearables from not just New Zealand but around the world. The exhibition opens on December 12, running right across summer until mid-February. What about the Zealander? That's pretty cool. I love Zealandia, and um, as you know, I'm besotted by birdies. Yes, and virtually, so am I, and yes. especially the native ones with my little wee... Yes, you've got your lovely little bird cafe, haven't you? Thank you. Yes, yes. he's a very good feeder of the birds. Um, and virtually every time I head to Wellington, I seem to end up at Zealandia. It still blows me away that you're only 10 minutes from Lambton Quay when you're gazing at Kiwi roaming past you at night and hearing their calls as they sing out to their partners Incredible. in this astounding urban sanctuary. Ten minutes from Lambton Quay. I've done the daytime, the twilight, and the night tours now. They're all good. But if it's Kiwi you want to see freely foraging, you've got to do the night tour. I need to do that. I've always wanted to see a Kiwi at night time. Right. Uh, I want to talk to you just briefly yes. about the food. I mean, there's plenty of places for food there, right? Well, it's interesting we've talked about Dunedin and Wellington on this edition because they both consider themselves foodie makers. But yeah, Wellington just keeps on giving. Um, on the culinary front, I headed down Lombard's, uh, Lombard Street, which is one of the slinky little lanes in Wellington City. It is home to Denzian, and I just thought I'd mention this because this is a shopfront gin distillery, and it's scooped up so many awards in the past 18 months or so. It produces craft gin on site. Um, and the name itself, Denzian, is interesting because it actually came about through a dyslexic spelling mistake. It was going to be called um, Denizen, as in Dweller, Denizen, but there was a typo in the artwork uh, which changed it to Denzian, and then the owners worked out that Denzian is actually a Nordic word meaning a clan of people who enjoy the finer things in life. Well, that's, there you go. Boom. Yeah. What about Cuba Street? Yes, well, trending in Cuba Street is the most amazing place called High Water Eatery, and the must-try dish on the menu, I reckon, is the duck and prune hot dog with gentleman's relish with crispy shallots and fermented cabbage powder. I still dream about that hot dog, Chris. And for something really unique, head to the Beehive, now that we've uh, elected a fresh government, uh, and enjoy dinner 
at Bellamy's by Logan Brown. I cannot think of any other parliament in the world which has opened its doors for public dining within the halls of power. You never know who you'll be seated next to. You must book in advance. Well, if you're looking for some adventure this summer, a short hop from Wellington is... uh, Kapiti Island. Kapiti Island. Yes. I had lost my marbles there for a second. I thought you had. Yes. Um, t- tell me about this, because part of this island is actually still privately owned, isn't it? Yeah, it is. 20 hectares uh, remains vested in the private family trust of the Barrett Fano, who have pretty much lived on the island, believe it or not, for the past 200 years. Um, and I was hosted by wow. Menaki Barrett. Uh, who's in his mid-30s, the coolest guy. He's like the walking, breathing embodiment of Manaki Tanga. So very apt that his first name is Manaki. Mm. Um, and he manages the Kapiti Island Nature Tours Lodge. Now, their warrior ancestor, the Barrett family, their ancestor, Tarangi Roa, journeyed down from the Waikato with Toropraha to settle on Kapiti Island in the 1820s. And since then, there have been so many attempts by the government to snatch this chunk of land back. Um, And it was Manaki's great-great-grandmother who led the resistance to it. So to cut a long story short, they're now in partnership with DOC to operate this ecotourism venture. But they've got this 20 hectares of land privately still owned by the Family Trust. And you can really get a sense of the island's history, can't you, here? Because there are plenty of things to be able to see in here, right? That's right. And it's uh, quite a compact uh, island, so you can take in a lot in a short space of time. I've long admired how, from the mainland, like if you're on State Highway 1 driving towards, say, Paraparomu or uh, Waikanae, Kapiti Island to your left kind of broods off the coastline like this big hulking fortress. Its silhouette is so striking. I've heard some people say it looks like a crocodile, which I thought was interesting. Anyway, (laughs) um, I knew the natural riches would be superb there, but, yeah, delving into the island's history is so rewarding. And in the lodge that uh, Manaki runs um, are the most fabulous vintage photos of Manaki's ancestors, like his great-great-granny from the 19th century who steered down the crown when they were trying to grab the land. And you can see her grave. She's buried on the island. And there's plenty of traces of the whaling heyday in the 1830s when the island had over 2,000 residents. And something that uh, Manaki intrigued me by was he said there was a lot of intermingling, was his term, Mm -hmm. a lot of intermingling between the Ngāti Toa, Wahine, and the whalers and the sealers. Uh, you can imagine. I can imagine. Mm. Uh, bird life, please, because that's been the oh, theme of uh, this episode. Totally. Twitching alert. Twitching uh, alert. The bird life at Kapiti Island is absolutely heaving. So many species exhibit absolutely no fear of people. In fact, the kaka and the weka alike, the local mafia, they are professional <laughs> muggers. And they will not miss the yes, chance to they? steal your food. Yes, that's true. I've or ravage your backpack. Actually, you would have come across a lot of weka on the West Coast, mm. Chris. There's something about them I quite like. I, I kind of like how they're, they're, they're just not shy. No, they don't not. care. They've got a slightly cheeky, cunning sort of look, haven't they? Don't they? Yes, they do. Um, but the biggest hazard on Kapiti Island is the delicately named Keredu Bomb. And you don't want to fall foul of one of these. Now, I honestly, was uh, walked past trees on Kapiti Island 
groaning under the weight of these wood pigeons, the kereru. Some trees had 30 of these fat wood pigeons perched on their branches. 30 wood pigeons in one tree. Absolutely paralytic after binging on tower berries. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Manaki reckons the record for most kereru in one tree that he's counted on Kapiti Island is 40. But, yeah, when I saw this, you know, 30 of them, I thought my eyes were deceiving me. Yeah, Just amazing. I would. You would think that. Yeah. Um, there's been some massive conservation achievements in KI. Absolutely. Predator-free since 1998. The birds absolutely rule the roost here. The last incursion of the sanctuary was when a stoat swam ashore and gave birth to two babies. Um, and it took two years to track them down and finally kill them. The bill for that, $1 million. Um, the Saddleback thrives on KI, uh, brought back from the verge of extinction on that island. The Little Spotted Kiwi program has been such an insatiable success. They now number over 1,200 on the island, and there's no room in the inn. They just can't really accommodate <laughs> anymore, so they get shipped off to other islands. Um, and those little spotted kiwis, they live such a super, a super secretive life. They seem to specialise in maximum stealth, and Manaki pointed out numerous kiwi burrows to me in the bush, but they know very little about you know their, their ins and outs because they are just so furtive. Um, I also learned on Kapiti that the weta, a very abundant species on Kapiti, the weta has its ears located on the knees of its front two legs. I did not know that. Who knew? Isn't that amazing? Have a knees up and listen at the same time. <laughs> well done. <laughs> um, by the way, are the overnight stays back up, back up and running now, Mike? Yes, they are. I just did a day trip uh, to Kapiti Island from Paraparomi, but the full range of experiences are now back in action. So whether you want to do a day trip like me yeah. or enjoy an overnight stay on the island, you can do glamping, you can stay in their uh, little lodges. I like um, glamping. Yeah, mm. it's all available, but um, it is one of the oldest public accessible nature reserves in the world and a must for every Kiwi. And you can read more about our chats on Kapiti Island, Wellington and Dunedin on the For the Love of Travel website. Yes, fortheloveoftravel.net.nz. Thank you so much for joining us. Be sure to like us on Facebook. Our show notes are available on the website at kiwitripsters.co.nz. Thank you, Chris. Plus, we'd love you to race and review Kiwi Tripsters wherever you get your podcasts, and we will hopefully catch you again in a couple of weeks' time for a fresh episode. Have a great day. And that's a wrap for this episode of Kiwi Tripsters. Liked what you listened to? Then join us for our next episode of Kiwi Tripsters, where we bring you more travel inspiration, giveaways, and insider knowledge with expert guests on the show. Connect with us on Facebook and Instagram, and visit us on kiwitripsters.co.nz. But most importantly, subscribe and comment on Apple Podcasts, and tell us what you think of our show. Till next time, safe travels. Safe travels.